0: And you may be seated. All right. Um, so I went over on my time last week, and uh, I promised myself um, not promising any of you guys, but I'm promising myself to make up for it this week. Um, just before we begin, a couple of quick things. Uh, I got the chance to marry. Um, Hannah and Jonathan on Friday, um, yeah, praise God for that. Um, yeah, we can we can give a hand clap. Man, those guys uh, they went through the ringer a little bit, and um, both because pretty much everyone in their family uh, and close to them got COVID, and so they had to uh, postpone their wedding. And then they just made it; they couldn't do the venue. They're 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 doing that later on in the spring, they say. Um, but they want to do something small, and so. Uh, there was a couple things that made it happen, and one was that both Hannah and Jonathan uh, came back negative on their most recent tests, and so we gathered, and we um, we did the, the service. Um, um, unfortunately, the guy who was supposed to marry them wasn't able to come, but uh, to my advantage, I got to be a part of it. And um, so, and then the second thing um, is that uh, and, and not maybe more importantly, but equally as important, possibly is that both of them get to go on their honeymoon as of today. And because without that negative test, they would have had to cancel that. So praise God that happened. Other thing I'd like to say is just uh, keep Pastor Ryan in your prayers um, in this time. Again, he's on sabbatical, um, and this doesn't mean that he's uh, on vacation, right? I mean, and uh, but may we keep him in constant prayer. Uh, during this time uh, because the purpose of this is to press into um, rest, to find rest for his soul, for his person, and to find that in ultimately Jesus. And um, this is a pursuit that all of us are on, right? But it is there is a particular pursuit within the pastor's life because what we can pray for him is this, that we he would find rest um, not through work, not through what he does, um, not through what he can put his hand to or accomplish, but through only Jesus. Man, all of us are are torn and drawn to just either um, our own work or just busyness or whatever it may be that that the enemy would want to come and steal that rest from us, uh, steal our rest with worry. Um, And so, man, I just ask you guys, uh, let's be in constant prayer for our pastor um, during this time. Uh, may he feel and rejoice in the fact that his family is with him in this. Cool? Yeah. Um, before we begin, again, uh, this one other last thing is that I want to share this passage uh, because the thing it sets us up well. A friend of mine shared this with our community group last uh, night, I believe, and I was like, man, that's, that's timely, and I just want to read it for us to, before we hear God's word. This is Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Um, It says this, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would speak to us today, that we would understand that your word is the prophetic word and that you are accomplishing much through it. We submit ourselves to this word, believing that you want to speak to us, believing that it is our authority, and that we place ourselves underneath it and submit ourselves to it. And Lord God, I pray that we would be built up, we'd be encouraged, that each and every one of us, including myself, would be spurred on to love and good works today. To your glory and praise, amen. Amen. All right. So our series is called Songs on the Road to Renewal because uh, these psalms that we're in, Psalms, um, it is 120 through 134, is the Psalms of Ascent. And um, we're called the Songs on the Road to Renewal because we believe that, uh, as scholars have said, that these are songs that were sung by the Israelites leading up to the, on their way to worshiping at the temple. And we've been speaking a lot about this journey, at, you know, taking this metaphor of the people of God journeying to the temple to worship, and we have speaking a lot about the journey, but here's what we must remember when we talk about the journey, is that it's this, we were never made to journey alone. We were never made to journey alone. There are times where that just happens, right? And it's kind of impossible not to certain scenarios God puts us in, but that's not how God made us. He made us journey together. Today's sermon is titled Community. Community is a bit ambiguous at times because, you know, it's, it's just lost some of its weight, lost some of its meaning in our culture. Um, you know, we can use it in very deep and meaningful ways, like this is my community, these are my brothers, these are my sisters, um, but we can also use it in the sense like, you know, our housing community, for instance, um, or a community, just like a, a collective group of people with common interests, like the scientific community um, or the engineering community. Cow, and I don't know anybody else's stuff. <laughs> you were just like right in my line of sight, so that was. Um, maybe the first thing that comes in your uh, your head is uh, is the show community. I don't know. Um, you guys watch that show, Community? Yeah. It's pretty funny. Um, But I want to talk about community, not in the sense of um, a concept, right? Like these are different concepts of community, but talk about community in the sense of an entity, in the sense of a people, a people that God has purchased for himself, the the household of God. And he's bought us, and he's bringing us to a certain fulfillment. The original meaning of the word community is, Um, as you can probably guess, is common unity. Unity amongst brothers is what King David describes here as, as he says in verse 1, good and pleasant. He's describing unity here as good and pleasant. How often do you describe the community that you're in like that? Good and pleasant. Maybe sometimes. But man, more often than not, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel very pleasant. I mean, the, the first word here is behold. Behold. And you can kind of picture a circus, maybe sideshow act of the uh, um, circus. Uh, what's the con- conductor? Is that the name? Ring- ringling? ringling? Ringleader. Thank you. The circus ringleader saying, Behold, feast your eyes. Look upon what is before you, something you've never seen before. And it's rare, so don't miss it. Unless King David is saying, behold, I'm about to say something and show you something rare. Don't miss it. I believe that's true. I think it is rare. It's rare for us to press into a group of people, a community of people, And find ourselves at the end of it saying, how good and how pleasant was that? Especially when they're people that are not like-minded like us. That are not, they're different from us. Charles Spurgeon, he says this, everyone loves pleasant things and yet it frequently happens that the pleasure is evil. That's true, right? We can love bad things. But here, speaking on this passage, he says the condition is as good as it is pleasant, and as pleasant as it is good. The reality is, uh, community is broken. Our community uh, that we experience today is messy. It's it's not as beautiful as it's portrayed here. According to David, under the right circumstances, it is good. But not only that, it is also pleasant. But all of us know that dwelling together is not enough. Like, we can't just simply dwell. That doesn't equal good and pleasant. The qualifier here is the unity. There are, there are times, indeed, where there are uh, scenarios where people should not be together. Um... You know, there's certain people you shouldn't hang out with. And there's certain scenarios where God just doesn't allow it and people go their own way. Paul and Barnabas, you know, splitting their way. There's there's plenty of scenarios where it's not just simply dwelling together, but it is dwelling together for unity. In the midst of unity, this is the qualifier for good and pleasant. So the big idea today is um, is this, that unity is a journey worth traveling. Unity is a journey worth... Worth traveling. God has this ideal for us, and I want us to see that this, um, to look at unity today and community as this sense of journeying, um, that God has this ideal in creation, and today we're in this broken state um, because of our sin, uh, both sin of those before us, beginning with Adam and Eve, and all the way up into our sin today. We see broken families, we see severed relationships. We see isolation that happens. We see um, people placed into depression because of these things. COVID-19 has done a number on some of you. I know because I've talked to you and I know the pain that you feel, the isolation that you feel because of it. I want you to know today, if, that, if that's you, um, that community is not too distant It may feel like it. It may feel at times, man, there's just no way. There's no way I could find this sense of community that I long for. Let me tell you that it's not too distant. And the enemy is not those around you. The enemy is somebody who would want to convince you that you are too far distant, that you are too isolated, that no one does care about you. Let me remind you today that as we sang, the most important thing for us to remember today is You are a good father. It's who you are, and I am yours. I'm loved by you. That's the most important thing for us to remember. And because God is good, because he is a good father, because he gives good gifts, his community, his people are not too far from you. We are invited in through these songs here to sing um, with those who have journeyed before us, to look back and see their journeys. And it's not towards you know an earthly temple like they are walking to, but to a heavenly one. And it's here that we will experience on this journey, on this journey, the um, I'm sorry, uh, on the journey we'll experience the, the process, but when we get to where we're going, to this holy temple, to this everlasting Jerusalem, the church brought together with her groom, Jesus, that we will experience the fullness of community. Until then, it is Jesus' will to display glimpses of this new creation here and now. Do you believe that? That That's his will for us not to just look and, and long, yes, but also to feel and glimpses of it. These glimpses push us to the reality that is to come. Our present reality, finding the beauty here within pushes us to something more eternal, something grander, something better. And this happens through his community. So I want to give three things in this passage that the community of believers is. Um, And then I'm going to give just some more like practical um, stuff regarding how we can live out in this community. So three things that the community of believers is. The first thing is that community is fragrant. Community is fragrant. Verse two, it is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. The uh, anointing oil was used to consecrate things of worship in in the tabernacle, and it was also used to place upon the head of the priest um, who would serve um, in God's holy work. And so um, the uh, different items in the temple, the Ark of the Covenant um, and other items were sprinkled with this oil and then also on the head of the priest. It was incredibly aromatic. It was mixed with liquid myrrh and sweet-smelling cinnamon, aromatic cane, olive oil, and it invited the senses into the process. It invited the senses to take part in the activity of, of God's work. The people of God would know someone who has been anointed because they could smell it on them. It unlocked the imagination of God's people to this this incredible significance of the consecration, of being set apart for God's holy work. But we, we know the Levitical priesthood is dead, right? But Peter tells us that in Christ, in the new covenant, no longer in the Old Testament, but this continues in a particular way, in a special way. He says in 1 Peter 2.5, Peter says, he, we are called to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians 2, if you were here with us in our last series um, in 2 Corinthians, the light of the gospel, we read this. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads get this the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, and to other a fragrance from life to life. What an amazing privilege. That you and I have to be able to declare the gospel, to be able to shine the light of the gospel in our world simply through the way we act, simply through being. It is that Christ leads us. In whatever happens, the context is Paul is saying, I wanted to do this, it couldn't happen, and here's why, but thanks be to God that he is always leading us in triumphal procession. He's always leading us in this victory march, and through us, as the aroma of Christ, we are spreading that fragrance. What a privilege it is that even without opening our mouths, this can happen. Jesus said... In John thirteen thirty five, by this all people will know that you are my what? Disciples, if you have what? Love for one another. If you love one another. This is how people are gonna know your mind if you love one another. Man, don't we overthink it sometimes? I mean, if if we had once you think about this, is if we had as deep a concern for the body of Christ, as we do for some of the things that we choose to occupy our time with, speaking to myself here too, what could change? If our investment into the community of God, into his people, was as radical as our financial decisions and sacrifices that we make to either save money or maybe pay off our homes or go on vacations. What could God do with that? If the investment that we make was just as important? I believe he would do amazing things. I believe we would see the Spirit of God moving and acting in this church in ways that we couldn't even fathom. The second thing is community is healing. Community is healing. It is fragrant, but it was also healing. There's an analogy he gives, uh, the second one here. So the first was the oil, and the second is the dew of Hermon. Hermon, I had to do a little bit of geographic um, study, because I'm terrible at that, so I don't really know these places, just so you don't get any ideas. Um, but on my study, I find that Mount Hermon, is on the border of Palestine and Lebanon. Okay, there's a pic here. Um, and it's a pretty mountain. There's no, no other point to that except for you to just see, like, that's Mount Arman. Um But here's the significance, is that it's being brought up because if an Israelite was in Palestine and would, to look north, from any, like standing from any direction would to look north, they would not be able to miss Mount Hermon. It was the largest, the tallest um, mountain in all of the region. And the metaphor that David uses shows it as the source of blessing to all the surrounding area. It says, coming from the Mount Hermon to all the mountains of Zion. And, but he's talking about this dew. The dew. Um, so I want to just quickly, I did a little bit of research again on uh, some, some science here, and I wanted to show, what does the dew do, do? I've been waiting all week to say that. Um, so aside from just getting our socks wet when we walk through the yard in the morning, what does the dew do? do? Um, there's three things in particular. First is that it, it forms a protective barrier on the leaf of plants, to help it retain more moisture in its cells, making it more resilient in hot and dry conditions. The second thing is it evaporates. When it does, it cools the plant down in much the same way evaporating sweat in our body cools us down. And it reduces then heat stress, right, in more strenuous environments. And then the third thing it does is it provides a direct source of hydration for, for certain plants. And here's the point. Here's why I'm saying this. Here's a seemingly insignificant thing, dew. When's the last time you even thought about dew? Right? Again, except for when it just like annoys the heck out of you in the morning. We don't think about it. A seemingly insignificant thing such as this is actually absolutely vital to the survival of the plants. It's absolutely vital. And in much of the same way, this seemingly insignificant thing that we often can place in our lives as unity or community of of God's people is absolutely vital to our lives, to the life that God has called us to. Again, none of us were created to journey alone. May we see that God's community The priesthood of believers is no different than this dew that we see from Mount Hermon. The third thing is community is a blessing. So both of these analogies, the anointing and the dew, are doing the same thing. They're pointing us to this abundant and even gratuitous blessing that God has for his people. It's just, you think of it, and you think of the, the oil that starts on the head and it runs down the beard and and then all the way down the body and then the, the dew that starts in the mountain and spreads out in all the region. It's just, it's gratuitous. It's it's bigger than we could think of. This is pointing to the abundant and even um, uh, blessing that we couldn't even imagine of God through the unity and body of Christ. So this imagery of oil, for instance, it's it's just... It's it's visceral. It like causes us to to be uh, stirred. Like man, what what a what a um, what a confounding type of analogy to think of this oil that starts at, at the head and runs down the beard, onto the shoulders, down the arms, and then it's even more um, of a, of a significance if we have another translation, like the New American Standard Bible. It uses instead of the collar of the robe, it uses the edge of the garment. And so we see like the, that it, some people translate it as this oil that's running not just down the half of your body, but all the way down. And it's like just, just pouring over you, all the way down to the ground. And like the oil that runs down the head of Aaron onto his beard and his shoulders and all the way to the ground, so is the blessing intended for every believer. That if we are the body of Christ, and are the priesthood, then the body of Aaron is to represent us. The apostle Paul likens the church to a body, and he likens Jesus to the head of that body. From Jesus, anointing does run abundantly onto every member of his body. Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Jesus, into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There is no person left out within the household of God. The blessing is for every believer. There is no person less significant and like the analogies that Paul draws out of the body of Christ where we cannot say to the eye, I don't need you, to say to the foot, I don't need you. God has placed us as a body of Christ in particular ways, in unique ways, and gifted us in unique ways to be able to serve each other for the glory of Christ and so that we might be built up into our head, Jesus. So the body might grow as it is built up, in love. And then Herman, the Mount Hermon, um, the significance here is that this is likely the place where the transfiguration took place, where Jesus was transfigured. There's a little bit of debate there. I think it's likely that it was Hermon based upon my study um, and what people say about it. And so I want you to, to, to follow me real quick. If you if you remember uh, Transfiguration, this is where Jesus brought Peter, James, and John, up into the high place, and he uh, says that he was transfigured before them. We don't really know what that means, but we know his face shone, his body and clothes shone, and most people believe that his body was um, changed from an earthly form to a heavenly form in a moment. But it was here on this moment that God the Father, for the second time recorded, speaks down, and he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So, track with me here. Could it be that God, in his divine wisdom, spoke through King David to use Mount Hermon as a reference of God's blessing, knowing full well that God would, a thousand years later, on that very location, announce his blessing upon his son, Jesus, who would in turn be the means of God's blessing eternally to all people. Could it be that God is so wise and so good that he would do such a thing so that we could look back and read a tiny little passage like this and be brought to the significance of God's blessing on his people? say, yes, of course it could be. Of course it could be. And we see in the final verse, for there, there, the Lord has commanded the blessing. It is life forevermore. There is a hope to which we are called into, friends. We're called not only out of our sin, out of darkness, but we're called into something glorious. Called into a hope that exists here and now. And it is pointing us to something far beyond here and now it is a hope that lies in Christ that Jesus our eternal source of blessing is our hope and here's the reality those who have put their trust in Jesus we are beloved sons and daughters of him And that the very same words that the Father spoke down to Jesus on that mountain, he says to you and I today, this is my beloved child. I am well pleased in you. I'm so pleased in you. Do you hear God's voice say that to you? I know the enemy would want to trick us in believing something else, but this is all the Father is saying about you. I love you. I'm pleased in you. Not because of what you've done. Not because you've shown yourself worthy. But because of Jesus. Jesus has taken everything you thought was good and shown that it was worthless. And he's taken everything that you thought was worthless and he's used it. And he's used it for your good and God's glory. Jesus is our only hope. It's that blessing that makes you a part of the community of God. It's not because you signed a covenant. It's not because you chose this church or another church. It is because Jesus bought you by his blood. This community we talk about is not a concept to be intermingled with other earthly forms. It is a blood-bought, spirit-wrought type of community. It's a spirit-wrought type of unity. It's something deeper than we could ever say to say um, just in an earthly form type of covenant, but it's a covenant that was made from before the foundations of the world to us today and will apply for all eternity. It is a covenant that we're asked into, invited into. And it's that definition, guys, that we approach each other. That's it. That's how we approach each other, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do we respond to this in light of these truths that we, we see here? How do we respond? I want us to think about this, uh, this quote by an old saint um, many, many years ago, it says, "No one can have God for his father, who has not the church for his mother." No one can have God for his father who has not the church for his mother." The unity that we're talking about doesn't come through church programs. doesn't come through man-made type of events, of man-made intelligence. No, this type of unity is exemplified only in the community of God's people by the power of the gospel that we preach, that we preach here week in and week out, that we preach amongst each other, to each other through the week, This is the type of unity that is brought. It's the unity that's brought only through the power of the gospel. So here, um, as we talk about the journey, um, let me just be just direct with what I'm talking about. The journey is is God's sanctification in our lives. We are bought, justified for all eternity before the Father, And now we're in this process of here and waiting for our eternal hope in Jesus. And there's this journey that we're on. And the journey is Jesus calling, saying, come after me, come follow me. But all this way, we're we're figuring out, well, I don't know how to follow you very well. Like, I, I try, but following you is hard. Jesus didn't pull any punches with that either, did he? He made it pretty clear up front. You cannot experience, guys, in this journey, the good and pleasant nature on your own. The good and pleasant, again, that King David is talking about, is amongst other people. Yes, you can experience things that are good and things that are pleasant outside of community of God. That's for sure. God has... um, God has um, grace in all types of spheres that we can experience, but there's a particular one that God wants you to experience in His body. When we don't press into unity, it's typically because we're scared to lose something. Um, there's, this, there's this fear that kind of can take over us when we, often when we don't want to press into unity. He's okay. Don't worry about him. By the way, yeah, it's fine. Um, but I mean think about it why don't we press into unity we're afraid to lose something we're afraid to lose whether it's our time we all have I mean our calendars are jam packed right I mean they're just packed you know so we we got time that we have to sacrifice and maybe it's approval maybe we have to sacrifice some approval because we know jumping into community means that some things are going to be found out about us that We'd rather not be found out. Maybe it's money because, you know, there might be needs that happen in community and I just, you know, I don't want that kind of pressure. Or maybe it's just energy. You know, just our mental capacity, capital um, is tapped out and we're just like, I, I don't have another space right now for that. Make no mistake, guys. Pursuing unity, pursuing unity in community, it will cost you something. It's sacrificial. Let me give you something. Uh, one way you, you know you're committed um, to the journey, and here, uh, I, I don't think I even failed to mention this, but the first thing I want us to do is commit to the journey, okay? Commit to the journey. One way you know that you're committed to the journey is when someone wrongs you and you don't give up on them. When you, when you know you're committed to this journey of sanctification in others' lives, when somebody does you wrong and you don't give up on them. You know, we often forfeit the process that God has us in uh, because we get fed up with somebody. But this isn't the way of Jesus, right? I mean, thank God Jesus did not get fed up with us to the point of his lack, to the point of him um, going back on his commitment to us. No, he stayed committed, right? Uh, Hebrews 12, the beginning of it, that Jesus, looked to Jesus, our, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the way of Jesus, and he calls us and he says, if anyone were to come after me, if anyone were to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the way Jesus is calling us. He's calling us. He's saying, come after me. Come after me. Let me show you the blessing in in what you sacrifice. That the things you lose, I will multiply 100,000 fold. That the things you think you find satisfaction in, I, I will show you what satisfaction looks like. Man, what a gift it is to be a part of someone else's story. I think this is um one thing that God has given me just as a, a way of clarification through this recently, is when those moments when I when I'm just fed up and I'm like, Man, I can't do this anymore. Like this person is is like I'm done. Um there's this this clarity God brought to me and and such kindness, I think, um, to me. And he said, um, Josiah, you're not here for you. It's a gift. It's a privilege for you to be a part of the story that I'm doing in this person's life. I mean, think about it. For years to come, looking back and saying, man, I I was a part of that. Like seeing to the end of someone's sanctification in Christ, someone's growth in Christ, to be a part of that process. Not because there's anything I can do and in myself, but because God has chosen to use his church as a means of sanctification. God has chosen to use you and me as the means, a primary means of us being sanctified. That he chooses to speak through us. That we are the aroma of Christ. The second thing so the first thing is commit to this journey okay commit it but not only commit to it but submit to it possibly the the harder of the two Ephesians 5:21 submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ None of us have arrived we know that right Anybody here think they've arrived okay We know we have we know we haven't arrived uh, We say that phrase yeah no one's arrived um But man, it's easy to think that we have often. It's easy to think, I've got to figure it out. I don't need anybody telling me what to do, how to do it. I don't need anybody speaking into me and giving me guidance on this. I've got to figure it out. I'm going to do it on my own. Submitting to others means this. It means submitting to the process that God is doing in our own lives. As I mentioned, God's primary means of sanctification is the body of Christ. And here, here's one way that you know you're submitted to the journey is when you can not just hear but receive correction from others. Not just hear it, but receive it. Uh, God gave me this week, this verse, and it's just been speaking to me so clearly because I've needed this this week. I have felt some of the sting of hard words to me this week, things I need to hear through the body of Christ. And it's it's a wrestle, you know, it, it takes a wrestling to say, "Man, my God, I don't want that, I hate that." But it's also saying, "God, I know you're you're good through this, so let me hear. Let me not let me not despise this." Here's Psalm one forty one five. It says, "Let a righteous man strike me; it is kindness. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me; it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it." That's not an easy thing to believe. As we prepare to share at the Lord's table today, may we remember that the word communion implies that we have a common union. And Jesus established this. He set this up. He ordained this and he calls us and tells us and commands us to every uh, when we're together to take communion to, to participate in such a way that we remember what Jesus has done so that we might be brought together under a common union. In Paul, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, he talks to the church about this, and, th- and, and we say this almost every week, but I want to bring new emphasis to it uh, for us today. He says, um, on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it, and he said, this is my body which is broken to you. In this And like, in like manner, he took the cup and he, he says, this is my blood. Pour it out, new covenant for you. Take it and drink it. And then Paul adds to, he says, for as often as we do this, as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Communion helps us not only on the journey of realizing um where are my feet planted? But it also points us to something beyond the journey. It points us to the fact that Jesus is coming, that Jesus is returning, that there is a fulfillment of this community, there is a fulfillment of this unity that we are to seek. And remembering the analogy of the dew, right? Remembering all the things that the dew do does. Hear this passage, and Ben, you can come up and get ready to play. Hear this passage, Revelation seven fifteen through 17. It says, therefore, they, the church, are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Here's protection. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the ultimate fulfillment of unity. This is the ultimate fulfillment of God's presence. See, there is something bigger and grander that's happening here. You know, despite whatever we can accomplish here on a Sunday morning, how well we perform this, how um, much we can pull off and maybe wow some people or whatever. That's not our goal. I hope, hopefully you know that. Um, but bigger than anything external here, there's something more. Is that the Spirit of God is indwelling each and every one of us. The Spirit of God has chosen to set up presence inside of you and inside of me. And there's a man who authored a book called Unceasing Worship. And he says, his name's Harold Bez. And he says, and he calls it this mutual indwelling. That as the Spirit of God indwells you, indwells me, he's indwelling us. And he's forming us. And he's bringing us together. And there's going to be a day, church, where we will experience this unity and this presence, this dwelling, like number four and we'll sit before God, and we will experience everything we wished we could have right here and now. But here's my just encouragement and plea for us is that, man, we would be the body of Christ, exemplified to such a degree that we see some of that now, that we feel some of that now. And so with that, I'm gonna invite you to, when you're ready, um, come to the table. May we remember and proclaim what Christ has done And if you are comfortable and you want to come with somebody else, you're here with your family, you're here with your friends, come and serve each other in communion. Let us remember and proclaim um, what Jesus has done and then also look to this future reality that we have in Jesus. So when you're ready, we're going to sing and you can come when the Lord leads you.